and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our Connect Pastor, Adam Gooch, continues with part three of our series, Don't Be That Guy. Faith Church, how's everybody doing today? Man, if it ain't for Pastor Ronnie, then we get to laugh at that video. Y'all gonna laugh at me. I got like only to go up, right, from here. Man, welcome to Faith Church. I am Pastor Adam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I do send Pastor Steve's best. He is actually with a team uh, right now who should be putting uh, boots on the ground in Honduras very, very soon. Uh, So I want to ask you guys, please be praying for that team. They're going to be there all week. Um, They're actually working in like five different sites, building churches, building homes. Um, So it's going to be an amazing week for that team. So please pray uh, for our team that's in Honduras. Um, A lot of things going on here. I appreciate all you guys coming. Um, You had to kind of fight the construction coming in, right? So we've, we're on track, so I appreciate you guys doing that. Is anybody excited to see what's going to happen when we take the walls down, right? You can kind of go out and you kind of look up and you see the ceiling working. So we are on track right now for an Easter finish, so please invite your friends. Pastor Ronnie told you it's 8.30, 10, and 11.30. So bring your friends, come to one of those services, um, preferably not the 10 if you can help it, because uh, we know we are going to absolutely end up in an overflow situation um, here on Easter Sunday, but that's really good problems to have. I'm glad I'm part of a church uh, where the problem is trying to figure out where to put people and not how to get people, right? Um, so it's good problems to have. Um, but we are here today. We're excited. We are in part three of Don't Be That Guy. I tried um, to convince my wife to let me wear glasses and wear a mustache, and I keep trying, and it just ain't working yet. Um, so if y'all could help me with that, I feel like I could rock it. Anybody agree? No? I, one of my personal heroes is Tom Selleck, and I just feel like I could do it if I just had some support in the house, but I don't. So I'm just not going to right now. But we're in week three. It's been an amazing series. It's been a fun series. Uh, We kind of launched it off. Pastor Steve was talking about Esau. Um, And this last week we came in and we talked about, or last week was Esau. The week before that, um, we talked about the prodigal son's um, brother who was kind of, he was kind of a jerk, right? Um, And really the whole idea behind this series is that there's kind of two ways that you can learn lessons in life. There's two ways you can go about it. You can, you can enroll in kind of the school of hard knocks, right? How many of y'all have ever been there? You passed the test, you took the test, you failed it over and over again. You can enroll in the school of hard knocks and you can kind of figure this thing out on your own. You can go out, you can not listen to anybody, you can make all the mistakes. That's what happens with all the firstborn kids in the room, Right? My little brother was always better than me. He was always more well-behaved. He made better grades. He's like we both ended up being pastors, but I was the one that everybody was shocked that I was a pastor. They kind of saw him like from day one coming up. But I feel like the reason was I was the trailblazer. Like I was the one that made all the mistakes, right? And then he watched me and was like, that was really dumb. That didn't work. I'm not going to do that. So that's one way. You can learn by hard knocks or you can kind of look around you, um, seek wisdom, look at some people around you that have went through life, that have made some mistakes, that have screwed it up 
on their own part, and you can learn from them what to do and what not to do, right? So this series is all about us looking at some guys that basically their entire purpose in Scripture is to show us what not to do, right? These are the, these are the examples of what you don't want to be. So we've entitled it, Don't Be That Guy. Now, as I was kind of diving in, it's always fun as a pastor because people ask you, um, like, how do you come up with messages? How do, you, how do you figure out what you're going to preach? How do you figure out what you're going to share? And for me, a lot of times, it, it kind of comes in weird ways. Um, last week, if you were here, um, if you weren't, you need to go back and listen to it. It was an amazing message. But Pastor Steve uh, was talking about Esau, and he was talking about appetites, right? And he was talking about um, how your appetites can absolutely destroy the hope that you have for your future if you don't control your appetites. And so um, he kind of went through this list, and he said, okay, we have appetites for food. Anybody? Yep, check. Appetites for sex. Absolutely, Check. Appetite for relationships, check. And then, like, have you ever seen the sitcoms where, like, the subject matter, like, all of a sudden, like, the, the screen goes blurry and he kind of goes into his own little world, right, and these things are still happening around him, but, like, he's in his head? That happened to me last week, and I was sitting there, and I was like, okay, appetite for food, appetite for sex, appetite for relationships, and then it was like, and I heard, appetite for destruction. Anybody? Anybody, somebody, listen, this is what hit. Anybody know Welcome to the Jungle? It started playing in my head, right? Yeah. And so I'm sitting on the back and I'm like, appetite for destruction. That, that's what happened in my head. And so then all of a sudden I'm on this tyrant where like, I'm thinking of all these like Guns N' Roses songs. That was 1987, by the way. Anybody remember when appetite, like, any Guns N' Roses fans, raise your hands. Sinners, all of you, right there. Yep. 1987, um, I was four when it came out, so I don't really remember it, but I've listened to it a whole bunch since then. And so I started going through, like, mentally all the different songs from Appetite for Destruction because my brain kind of went on that tirade, and I actually did finish the message online later because I was in this place for a little while. Um, so I'm thinking, Welcome to the Jungle, right? Um, sweet Child of Mine. Then I kind of started flipping, and I started thinking of my favorite Guns N' Roses song of all time is Live and Let Die. Anybody? That's a jam, y'all. And so then, from there, my mind automatically kind of flipped and thought, well, you know who the original writer of the song Live and Let Die is the greatest absolutely of all time, Sir Paul McCartney, the Beatles. Any, any Beatles fans out there? I've had the honor. I've actually seen Paul McCartney in concert four times. The last time I saw him, we had front row side stage seats um, literally, I could have like reached out and touched him at times. And if you don't believe me, I made him pull up a picture just so you could see this. Listen, one of the greatest moments of my entire life. It's, I can't ever go see him in concert again because I know I'm never getting that close again. And I just can't bring myself to sit in 80 rows back when I was that close. And that's like iPhone 4 camera. So like I'm not zoomed in like 100 yards. You know what I'm saying? Like we were that close. And this is Paul McCartney playing his greatest song, which is Hey Jude. Anybody? All right, track with me. I know I'm kind of everywhere, but that's, it's a jungle up here, okay? So then I start getting, and I'm, I'm thinking, Hey Jude, that was an awesome miracle. Like I just go back, and I'm listening to it. And, I, and then it clicks. It's like, you know what? Well, Jude is a book in the Bible, right? Like Jesus had a brother named Jude. And so I was like, well, maybe I need to read the book of Jude. This is true, okay? So I start reading the book of Jude, and I'm just kind of diving in. Like, okay, God, what are we talking about? And I... I make it all the way to verses 10 and 11 of the book of Jude, and I want to read you this. Check it out. 
Jude 10 and 11, it says, but these people, okay, Jude, the entire book is kind of based around this idea of false teachers. It's based around uh, warnings against false teachers and what they're going to be like. And it says, but these people, these false teachers, they scoff at the things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction. Next verse. It says, what sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother like Balaam. They deceive people for money. And then, like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. And so as I'm going through this little portion of Scripture, I get down here. I'm like, okay, Cain, I got it. Like, I, we know the story of Cain, right? I, we just talked about it a couple weeks ago. I, it clicked. We get to Balaam. I know the story of Balaam. I've heard that. I've been over it. And then I got down to this guy named Korah. And honestly... After years of ministry, after growing up in a great church for my entire life, like, I didn't know the story. How many of you, by show of hands, are smarter than me and Pastor Ronnie, because I know he didn't know it either? How many of you know the story of Korah? Okay, so we're in the same boat, so this is going to be really good. Like, I, I'm sure I've heard a message about it at some point in my 33 years on this planet. Like, I, I'm sure I've heard it, but it had never stood out to me. So I kind of started diving into, okay, what, what's this guy? Like, I don't know this guy. So let's look into it. So I made my way all the way back to Numbers chapter 16. And we're going to kind of dive into that entire story today because I think it's a very, very powerful story um, that ultimately ends in him being a prime example from the book of Jude of who we don't want to be. That he's lumped into that category with Balaam and Cain, right? So I want to read this to you. Check it out. This is Numbers chapter 16. Starting here, it says, One day Korah, son of Izhar, a descendant of Kohath, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben. Keep going. It says, They incited a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. Okay, keep going. It says, they united against Moses and Aaron, and they said, you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. So what right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? So Korah, he kind of comes on the scene. This is the first time we ever hear about him, and we learn a few things about him. We learn that as you kind of follow that genealogy, as it kind of lists out who he was, he's the son of Izhar, what that tells us as you kind of follow it back through Scripture is Korah is actually Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were brothers. Aaron is Moses' older brother. Aaron is the high priest. Korah is their first cousin, right? Izhar is the brother to Moses and Aaron's father who was Amram, okay? Hang out. First cousins. And what we then see is that he kind of starts like a family feud, so to speak. It goes on to tell us that he's of the family of Kohath in the tribe of Levi. And as you kind of dive through that and you follow that back through the history of the Old Testament, what you kind of learn from that is the tribe of Levites, they were like God's chosen people. They were set apart. When Moses was told to take a census of all the people in Israel, God actually told him, don't count the Levites among the 12 tribes of Israel because they're mine, right? As we start giving out inheritance and we start devying up land, like 
Don't worry about the Levites because they're mine. I'm their inheritance. They're my chosen people. And then in the tribe of Levi, there's three different segments. There's three different families that make up that tribe, one of which were the Kohathites. That's where Korah comes in. Now, it's cool as you kind of go back through the Kohathites in like the family of God in the tribe of Levi. This is the priesthood. They had kind of the coolest job of any of the Levites. His family, Korah, this guy that we're talking about, their entire purpose of being in the tribe, being in the community, was it was their job as the Israelites moved from place to place. Korah and his people were responsible for carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They were responsible for carrying the furniture that was found inside the tabernacle. Like literally, the Levites are the chosen right? They're the, they're the cream of the crop when it comes to God. But then within them, the Kohathites are the chosen of the chosen. Like this is a massive honor to be in that family and to get to do what Korah and his family get to do because they're literally, they're the ones carrying the furniture that is the full representation of the Spirit of God. Like the Ark of the Covenant where the presence, literal presence of God falls, like it's your job to carry that and to be a part of that. But you see, for Korah, as we kind of continue to dive into this story, we realize it's not enough. There's a problem that comes up, and it all starts with disagreement. Everybody say disagreement. Obviously, for there to be a rebellion, there has to begin with a disagreement. Korah disagrees with Moses and Aaron, and we're going to kind of go through that because you see that he basically tells them, I don't like the way you're leading. I don't like the way you're doing things. I think there's a better way. I disagree with you. But disagreement by itself is not a bad thing. It's okay to have a disagreement. It's okay for you to disagree with me, and it's okay for me to disagree with you. The problem is that with Korah, it didn't just stop at disagreement. It went further. You see, it's okay if you're in here and you're a child and you have parents. You're going to disagree, right? Parents, you're going to disagree with your kids, Husbands and wives are going to disagree. You're going to disagree with the police officer that pulls you over and puts you on the side of the road. Like, there's a disagreement here, right? It's okay for Brad's wife to disagree with Cracker Barrel. (laughs) Guess what? You're my boss and I don't like what you're doing. That's okay. The problem with disagreement isn't in the disagreement itself. The problem in disagreement, and it's exactly what happened with Korah, is that it goes one step further, and it makes its way to this next word, which is division. Everybody say division. This is where it kind of all starts going bad for Korah. Because Korah's entire argument with Moses, his entire plea was that, listen, all of us are God's people. We're all chosen, specifically us, the Kohathites, like we're the chosen of the chosen So Moses, who do you and Aaron think you are to tell us what to do? Who do you think you are to act like we're your subjects and that we have to listen to you because you're our leader? Like, I didn't vote for you. Hashtag not my leader, right? That's what Korah's saying. You're not mine. And so what we see then is division starts happening because it all came out of a disagreement. And what Moses understood that Korah didn't, and I wish every one of us could get this, not just as Christians, but like as Americans. It's this idea that diversity and division are not the same thing. See, it's okay to be like to disagree. It's okay to be different. 
You don't have to look like me and dress like me or talk like me or walk like me. You don't have to think like me. You don't have to believe like me. We can disagree on so many things. We can be as diverse as the day is long, but it doesn't mean that it has to divide us. Moses knew that. But Korah's sitting here saying, listen, I disagree with you, so now there's a split. There's a divide in everything that happens. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to be different. And instead of using those differences, using that diversity to divide us, why don't we just celebrate that? In our nation, why don't we just celebrate that we're different? As I look across the crowd, I see young and I see old. I see black and white. I see big and small. I see blondes and brunettes. I see white and bald. And like, we're all different. We all have different beliefs. But I've got news for you. We don't all have to be the same. God's not a Republican, and God's not a Democrat. He's not an Alabama fan. He's not an Auburn fan. He's not Fox News. He's not CNN. We like to take these sides because we, by nature, have this rebellion on the inside of us that we like division, right? That's the sin nature that's within us. There's just something, and we see it in the life of Korah that just kind of makes us push back against authority. We don't We don't like, we want there to be a divide. Because see, the enemy, we've got a real one and he's out there and he doesn't want us to come into unity. He doesn't want us to experience oneness as a people, as a tribe, as a house of faith. So let's keep going. This is what we see. Moses knew, right? Just because we're diverse, it doesn't mean we have to be divided. So Moses kind of lays out like a clinic on how you handle disagreement correctly. And this is what he does. He goes straight to Korah in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 8. And it tells us, it says, then Moses spoke again to Korah, right? This is a one-on-one conversation. Korah has brought this idea to Moses, right? He's taken it, he's spread it all among the people. And Moses goes to him and he says, listen, this is what's going to happen. Right before this, Moses, this isn't his first rodeo. He's been down this road before. In fact, as you kind of back up a little bit in the book of Numbers, this is kind of like the fourth time that the people have kind of rolled up and like went against Moses and went against authority. And Moses is kind of getting tired of it. And so he kind of lays down this gauntlet right before this verse right here. And he tells him, he says, listen, Korah and all the followers, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow, we're going to all come together in front of all the people. And we're each going to raise up and we're each going to offer incense sacrifices to the Lord. And then whichever one that God honors, whichever one that we see God's presence falls on, That's the one he chooses. That's the one he shows is the authority. But before he even does that, Moses understands that division should not happen in the house of God especially. It shouldn't happen in any nation. So he goes to Korah and he says, now listen, you Levites. Listen, you chosen people. Keep going. It says, does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so that you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Does does what you're doing, does the job that God has already given you, did you not think that's a big deal? Keep going. It says, Korah, he has already given the special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? This This is Moses basically telling Korah, listen, you already have the highest of honors. Why is that not good enough that you now need to kind of raise up 
and think that you're going to come and take the high priesthood from Aaron. Why, what makes you think that you're going to keep coming against him? Keep going in verse 11. He says this. He says, the Lord is the one that you and your followers are really revolting against. By you doing this, by you inciting this rebellion, you're doing it against God. For who is Aaron that you're complaining about him? Moses is attempting to kind of reconcile things with Korah 101 because he understands this, that rebellion against authority is rebellion against God. Always. Always. And you don't have to like that. And I know as I kind of look out over this crowd, I see there's almost like a straightening in your spine a little bit because you're like, hold up. Like we came from a nation of a rebellion, right? Like we, the rebels, like this is what we're birthed in. Like, no, we... We stand up to the man. The problem is that's not what Scripture says. If you don't believe me, look at this. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by who? God. Keep reading. It says, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And when you do, what does it say will happen? And they will be punished. You see, Moses knew this to be true. He knew that there had been this rebellion inside it, but he knew that it wasn't a personal attack on him or Aaron. What he knew that Korah didn't was that you think you're rebelling against us and you think you've got this righteous cause, but what you're doing is you're coming against God because he's the one that put us in power. He's the one that made us leaders. If you remember in the story of Moses, like Moses didn't want the job. He argued with God over and over again. God, you got the wrong man. I'm not the one you want to lead these people. Aaron, the only reason he made it in was because he was Moses' brother and Moses couldn't talk right, so he went to his brother who had an eloquent speech and was like, listen, I'm the leader, but I just need you to be the one talking for me because I can't. Moses and Aaron didn't want the job, so they knew, listen, you're not rebelling against me, Korah. You're rebelling against God. And so he tries to fix it. He tries to make it right because he doesn't want division to keep taking its way through the people. So we keep reading Numbers chapter 16, verse 12. After Moses has kind of had this conversation with Korah, it says, then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, right? These are the other two co-conspirators. And it says, but they replied, we refuse to come before you. The leader of all God's people is like, listen, I want to have a conversation. And they said, no, I refuse to honor your authority. Keep reading. He said, isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, Pause. Apparently, they've forgotten that in Egypt they were slaves, right? They've forgotten that they were forced by authority every single day to do Pharaoh's bidding, right? The slave master, that they were freed from that. That's all kind of going away, and now they've got this rebellion, this deception that the enemy has kind of put on them. And it says, you let us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us here in the wilderness, and that you now threat, treat us, like your subjects? Keep going. It says, what's more, you haven't brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Are you trying to fool all these people? I said it again. We will not come before you. 
outright disrespect, a spit in the face of the authority that God had given Moses, right? This is like you getting a, like a summons to jury duty or the court, like there's a warrant out for you and you're like, uh-uh, I don't, I, don't, I don't recognize your authority, so you keep that. I ain't doing what you said. The Bible goes on, it tells us in verse 19, it says that, that Moses has had this conversation with Korah. He's trying to reconcile it, right? He's going straight to the source of the problem. He's, he's having this conversation with Dathan and Abiram. And then it tells us that exactly as he's having that conversation, it says, meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron. And they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Again, outright division. The disagreement has made its way all the way to division and Korah and all his boys are saying, listen, the showdown is going to happen. We're going to offer up our sacrifices and we're going to see who God recognizes because I don't recognize you as my leader. I don't agree with you. Moses is out, I'm in. That's ultimately what Korah is saying. And so what we see is it goes from disagreement to division Now it's kind of made its way into this whole other area where it's now found its way to dishonor. Everybody say dishonor. The problem with dishonor is that dishonor is always disobedience. Always. There is no such thing as righteous dishonor. You don't get to dishonor someone publicly. You don't get to go against leadership. It's okay to have a disagreement. But when you begin to have those conversations outside of that, when you begin to dishonor people publicly, regardless of who it is, there's no such thing as righteous dishonor. You don't have to respect anybody. Respect is earned. I have to earn your respect, right? But honor is given. Honor is given because we understand that the authority is God, ultimately. And that the Bible tells us that all authority is put there by God. When this was written, we're talking about tyrants in office, right? If you're one of those out there and every time I get on social media, I see you blowing up, talking about President Trump is the worst. Do you believe this idiot, not my president? Like, what you're doing? I don't care if you disagree with the politics. The minute you begin to dishonor authority, what you're doing is you're being disobedient to what God has called us to. It's just true. And what did Romans tell us? When you do that, what happens? He said, you will be punished. So as you kind of go through this story and you see Moses and you see Korah and you see the two sides and kind of compare and contrast what's going down, you see one handling things very well and you see one doing everything wrong. Anytime there's disagreement, you need to follow the example of Moses. What did he do? Go back and read the entire story. I challenge you this week. The first thing Moses did when the rebellion came up against him, the Bible tells us that he fell on his face and he cried out to God. He cried out to God and he said, God, you've got to do something about this. And after he finished crying out to God and pouring his heart into that, he went straight to Korah. And he said, Korah, we've got to be able to work something out. When he did that, he went straight to Dathan and Abiram. He went to the co-conspirators trying to handle it one-on-one. When you have a disagreement with someone, 
regardless of who it is, whether it's a spouse, it's a teacher, it's a coach, it's your boss, whoever it may be, the correct way to handle disagreement is to always go up. Always. Take it straight to the person that you have the disagreement with and talk through it. You may not come to terms But if you actually listen and attempt to kind of understand where they're coming from and listen to understand, you can find common ground most of the time. If you can't, you go up. You go to that person's boss. You go to the boss's boss, whatever that looks like. The problem is that we as as fallen people, what do we do? We like to go side to side, right? We like to go to our coworkers. We like to go to the other kids in class. We like to go to our friends and be like, do you believe what he said? Do you believe what he's doing? Do you believe they made that decision? And all of a sudden, all these side conversations start. The water cooler talk, right? I can't believe they're telling us we got to do this. We got to do the job that way. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I've been doing this job for 40 years. I know way better than they do. They think they know what they're doing. Do you know what you're doing? You're dishonoring leadership. You're dishonoring authority. God could have just as easily given you the job of authority, but for some reason, he didn't. The Bible tells us that God's the one that puts people in authority. We like to go side to side. The worst thing we can do is go down. And you have a problem with your boss or you have a problem with your spouse and all of a sudden your kids start here in the end of it. You believe what your mom did? Do you know what you're doing? You're inciting rebellion. You're following the path of Korah. You're doing exactly what the Bible said not to. And you've made your way to dishonor, and dishonor is always disobedience. And so the showdown's about to go. It's on. Moses attempted to make it right, and Korah and his guys would not hear of it. And so this is how it said. Keep reading. Numbers chapter 16, verse 28. This is the next day, right? Moses said, we're going to offer up the sacrifices. We're going to see what happens. And it says, and Moses said to all the people, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I've done, for I have not done them with my, on my own. Keep going. It says, if these men die, an unnat- die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. Like if they just die like normal, or if, not, if craziness, it doesn't go down, then I'm not your guy and I'll walk away. I'll give them power. But if the Lord does something, keep reading, entirely new, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, and they all go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. This is Moses like calling his shot, right? Okay. The showdown is up. If you want to know who God chose, look at this. I'm calling it off the rafters, off the backboard, nothing but net. And what does the Bible say happens? Keep reading. Amazing. Number 1631 says, He had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. Keep going. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. And it says, So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. Moses called it. He called it. Take care of it. Every one of them vanished. And see, when you see that, obviously, like, 
If I'm a rational person, if that happens among us, what happens? Like we all, if we're on that other side that's saying, Moses, you're wrong, you're, like I'm the one repenting. I'm saying like, okay, Moses, obviously God's on your side because you just called it, bro. Like it, obviously it did exactly what you said would happen. But there's a problem. You see, Korah and his conspirators had made it so. They had sowed these seeds of discontent and dishonor and they had already grabbed root. And among the people, the dishonor had made its way all the way to disunity. Disunity. The people couldn't see it. They were deceived. The disagreement had become division, which had become dishonor, and now the people were in disunity. You would think at that point that all the people would say, Moses, you're right, we're sorry, God forgive us. But instead, this is what happened in Numbers chapter 16, verse 41. It says, but the very next morning, after you literally just saw the ground open up and over 300 people fall in the pit alive screaming and then the ground closes up over them, the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering again against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the Lord's people. Really? Keep going. It says, as the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the cloud had covered it and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. And then it goes on, it says, Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle and the Lord said to Moses, so Moses had already had enough. Now this is where God has had enough. And he tells Moses, he says, get away from all these people. Why? So that I can instantly destroy them. God says, I'm tired of the rebellion. I'm tired of the dishonor. I'm tired of the disunity. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. Again, you see Moses pleading with God, don't do it. Don't destroy the people. Keep reading verse 46. It says, and Moses said to Aaron, quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. For the Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. And so Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. It says he stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. But in the end, 14,700 people died in that plague in addition to those involved in the affair with Korah. When you add it all up, when you look at the life of Korah, over 15,000 people, men, women, children, all their possessions, all their belongings, all their livestock, their entire legacy wiped from the face of the planet. Why? Yes, they absolutely played a part in it and they had a role in making the decisions that they made. But as you look in the New Testament, you go back to the book of Jude, the Bible puts it on one guy. All that death, all that destruction is pinned on Korah's chest. And the book of Jude warns us, it says, don't be like Korah. Don't be the rebellion. Don't be the guy that allows disagreement to destroy everything around you. 
I'm sure at some point in his mind, Korah legitimately thought, I'm doing the right thing. I know what's better for the people and Moses and Aaron are going to screw it up. I think that more than likely he really thought he had the answer. The problem is he went about it all wrong. It started with disagreement, but he didn't go up and straight to the problem. He started going all around. He started going down. He started bringing everybody with him. It wasn't enough. And from there, it starts spiraling out of control so that literally everything and everyone around him is destroyed. And so I've kind of been through this entire chapter. I've told you this entire story for one purpose, that I'm here to beg you today, guys. Don't be that guy. In your workplace, are you going to disagree with management? Are you going to disagree with your boss? Absolutely, you will. I heard Winston Churchill say one time, I didn't hear him say it, but I heard that he said it. He said, if two men are always in agreement, one of them's unnecessary. You're going to disagree in the workplace. Kids, you're going to disagree with your parents. You're going to disagree with your teachers and your coaches. Husbands and wives, you're going to disagree with one another. Yes, within this church, guess what? You're going to disagree with some of the decisions that we as leadership make. You're going to disagree with Pastor Steve, who is the ultimate authority in this house, placed there by God, not by man. There are going to be some things that you don't like. But I challenge you, and I beg you today, don't be this guy. Don't be the one that starts walking up and down the hall saying, do you believe what they're doing? I can't believe, like... I challenge you to think of every single divorce, every single church split. You think of every single situation that went bad, and I bet you can tra- like you can trace it down this, this roadmap, if you will. But it all started with disagreement. It all made its way to division. Then they started dishonoring one another, and the ultimate end is destruction. So this is the takeaway. This is what I want you to get. I want you to write it on your heart, put it on your bathroom mirror, whatever you need to. But whatever you do, don't allow disagreement to become divisive. Because dishonor and disunity always lead to destruction. Every single time. Dishonor is always disobedience. And when you rebel against authority, you are rebelling against God because the Bible tells us that he's the one that puts authority in place. So pray for those in authority over you. Pray for your boss. Pray for your teachers and your coaches. Please, Jesus, pray for your pastors because we're not perfect and we're going to disappoint you and you're going to disagree with us. But I promise you, God has given us a vision. God has placed a calling on this house. And the last thing that we want is for you to be the person that starts sowing seeds of discontent and disunity in this house. And that ultimately, we don't get to experience the promised land that God has laid out for us because of you. You see, that's what happened in Korah's situation. These were God's chosen people. He had given them the promise 
they're in the wilderness on their way to the promised land because of one man. 15,000 men, women, and children never got to experience all that God had promised. And it ultimately came down to a disagreement that was handled poorly. So that's the challenge today. Don't be that guy. If you've got a problem with something, if you've got a problem with something that's being done in your circle, go to the person that you have the problem with and have a conversation. They don't have to disagree with you. And if they're an authority over you, the Bible says that you have to honor what it is they say. But when you go to them and you have that conversation, just like Moses showed us, then you fall on your face and you say, God, I know you're ultimately in control and I give over to you. Have your way in this situation. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the people, Father. I thank you, Lord, that we are absolutely your chosen people, God, and that we are here because you have placed us here. And God, there are authority and there are people in our lives, Father, that you have placed there for a reason. And God, I pray that you would allow the people that are here, that you would allow Faith Church to be a house of honor, that we would pray for those in authority and leadership above us, that we would not be a rebellious people, God, because we don't want to experience your punishment. We want to experience your provision and your presence and your power. God, keep your hand of favor over this house. Allow us to handle disagreement well so that ultimately we can experience the promised land that you've guaranteed that we will. God, we love you in this place. I pray for every single person here, God. I pray that they would encounter you in a mighty way this week, that we would be a people of honor. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.